You are listening to the Vintage Church Podcast. We exist to inspire people to live and love like Jesus. For more information, please visit our website at vintagechurch.net. We hope you enjoyed today's teaching. Can you show some love to the uh, most amazing worship team on the planet? And to the, everybody turn, turn around and show some love to Dean, Stefan, and Edwin back there running technical stuff. And everybody give them $5 each when you walk out of the room. Oh, man, it's good to be in the house of God. I mean, I tell you what, church is supposed to be fun. And I hope that you see this as a place every Sunday where you can come. And I know that you walk into this room every Sunday with a lot. Um, I get that, that life can, can be difficult and there's a lot of things going on around, uh, not just our lives, but in our world. But today we're under this roof, united by one thing, the blood of Jesus Christ, and that's special. Amen. And I believe God wants to do something powerful in our midst today. Uh, today we're in part three of a series called Life with Jesus. And this series really just comes right out of my journal. Some just things that God has been teaching me over the last several months. And I just think like, if, God, if God knew I needed to learn this, then maybe somebody else needs to learn it as well. And I'm just better at teaching what God is teaching me. And so I just can't separate kind of sermon prep and personal growth. And so I hope you're finding this series fun and, and, and you're learning something and it's teaching you something that you desperately need. Um, and it's all born in, in the reality of my whole life, I, I believed in something. I grew up in the church. I grew up with Christian parents. My dad pastored for years until he retired, and now he gets to live kind of vicariously through me. But I, I've always believed in some things. But I've learned that Jesus never really called us to simply believe in some things, but to follow someone. Like, it's not just about believing some things. Like, the devil believes everything there is to know that's true about Jesus. Believing in some things is not the goal of this thing called Christianity or doing life with Jesus. But Jesus called us specifically to follow a singular someone. And there's a big difference in following someone and believing in some things. Amen? And hopefully over this... Uh, amen? Okay, thank you. Awesome. Uh, so there's a difference and so what we've been trying to do is dive into what does it really look like to do life with Jesus, to really follow Jesus. And to do that, we just, we have these great examples. Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, the Gospels, what we know as the Gospels, is, is these actual stories of the people that got to do literally life with Jesus. And so we've just been diving into their stories in order to uncover what it really means to do life with Jesus, to really follow someone and we've been looking at these passages of Scripture, like Matthew chapter 9, verse 9, where it says, As Jesus went on from there, he saw a man named Matthew sitting at the tax collector's booth. Follow me, he told him. And Matthew got up and he followed him. And in Matthew chapter 10, verse 38, whoever, this is Jesus' words, whoever does not take up their cross and follow me is not worthy of me and everywhere you see Jesus connect with those first disciples he never invites them just to believe in some stuff he never says come and let's get systematic theology spot on he never comes he never comes and says hey let me teach you all these really cool doctrines he says no come follow me and so we've been diving in what does it look like to follow Jesus what does it look like if we really did life with Jesus 
because I think it might look different than a lot of us have experienced throughout the years, right? It may look a little bit different of what even church culture at times has convinced us it is. What does it mean to follow him? And I've kind of put it to you like this. That means that we will go where he goes, see how he sees, feel what he felt, and eventually do what he would do. And that means it's going to include some things that we aren't used to. And so we started week one talking about if you're going to do life with Jesus, life with Jesus is uncomfortable. That's just the reality of it. I mean, it's uncomfortable. And, and we love us some comfort, amen? I mean, we do. We love, I mean, some of y'all, y'all don't even like coming to church because these chairs kind of hard. And so, like, it's just not comfortable. And so, like, you're glad we stay in the scene because your butt hurts by the end, of the end of the day, right? We love comfort. And so much of what we do is to make more comfort in our lives. Like we want to make more money so we can live a little bit more comfortably so we can have a more comfortable house, more comfortable car, more comfortable clothes, more comfortable bed. Like we just pursue a more comfortable lifestyle. But that flies into the face of what it meant to follow Jesus as we walk through the gospels because it was uncomfortable. It was really uncomfortable. And one of the biggest ways it's evidence is in that story where Jesus goes to the woman at the well and the disciples had to do something that they didn't really want to do. It was uncomfortable. And we talked about in that week one, that means if you're going to follow Jesus, if you're going to do life with Jesus, that you must engage people and issues that you would rather avoid and ignore. And we're going to have to do that if we're going to follow Jesus. Then last week we talked about not only is life with Jesus uncomfortable, it's, it's unpredictable. Like you just never know kind of what's going to happen. And you look in this one story of the disciples in the Gospel of Matthew where they feed the 5,000 and they take this little boy's lunch and it's awesome and people are getting fed and it's, they're high-fiving and it's one of the coolest miracles that they've ever had. And then like just a few minutes later, they're in the fetal position about to pee their pants in the boat, right? I mean, it's just from miracle to mayhem in a matter of moments. And we've all learned that that's kind of the way following Jesus is, right? Like we can go from miracle to mayhem before we even turn around. Like life can be good and you're sailing along and things are great and you're excited and you feel blessed and you love you some Jesus and you praise in his name and then boom, the bottom falls out. You ever had that happen? Amen? Like that we've all had those. And the, the reality is if we're going to do life with Jesus, that's the way it's going to be. It's going to be somewhat unpredictable that there will be seasons of miracle and there will be seasons of mayhem. But our job is to remain obedient through it all. That in seasons of miracle and seasons of, of mayhem to remain obedient and trust God through it all and not let the emotions of the moment get the best of us. But just to understand the same God is in the miracle and the same God is there in the mayhem as well. And just to trust that. Well, today we go into a reality that's going to be kind of fun to talk about. Because not only is life with Jesus uncomfortable and unpredictable, I would submit to you that life with Jesus is unfair. I just want that to marinate with you a little bit. That life with Jesus just very, it seems to be, as we walk through it, unfair. And we live in a culture that, that is all about fairness. Like, my, my, I have eight-year-old twins, um, and, and they, they have this argument all the time. Daddy, that's unfair. If you got kids, how many times have you heard that, right? Like, it's unfair, it's unfair. Like, if you had a dollar, if I had a dollar for every time my kids complained about life not being unfair, I wouldn't even be here. I'd be chilling on my own private island. Because it's like daily, multiple times a day, there's just something that they say where it's, it's unfair, it's unfair, it's unfair. Like yesterday, like I'm just trying to, I mean, I had a fun day yesterday, like a manly man. I, I went to Lowe's yesterday. <clears throat> like, you know, you just feel like a man just walking around. You didn't even buy nothing. You buy some candy and you're in Lowe's, but you just feel. So I take my kids to Lowe's and, and, and as soon as we go out into the garage to get in my truck, I know this argument's going to happen. I'm riding in the front seat. And then like, well, if you ride in the front seat on the way there, I'm riding on the front seat on the way back because that's only fair. So I smacked them both right in the head, and then I said, look, listen here. I didn't do that. 
But they have this, I might have, they have this argument all the time about fairness, and that's just kind of the way it is. But so they, and they've heard Daddy say this several times. If you actually go, go to my kids after church, just look for the two cutest kids in kids' ministry, that's mine, and just say to them, what does Daddy say about life? And they'll say, it's unfair. And you know what? Fairness is one of these things in our culture we kind of got caught up in. But can I, can I say something to you? Fairness is not something I see as a big theme in the scriptures. There's a lot about God being just and his justice. And justice and fair aren't the same things. You with me? Say amen. They're not the same things. God is, is merciful and he's just. But fair, fairness is not a big, a big thing in scripture. And I know we live in a culture where like, we want everything to be fair. But I read stuff like even that Jesus said. like Stuff like this. Matthew chapter 5, verse 43 says, you have heard that it was said, love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I tell you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you, that you may be children of your Father in heaven. He causes his son to rise on the evil and the good, and he sends rain on the righteous and the unrighteous. If you love those who love you, what reward will you get? Not even the, are, are not even the tax collectors doing that? And if you greet only your own people, what are you doing more than others? Do, you, do not even pagans do that. Be perfect, therefore, as your heavenly Father is perfect. Jesus, that ain't fair. Like the sun rises on, on the good and the evil, the rain on the righteous and the unrighteous. Jesus, Jesus, that ain't fair. And, and, and we want it to be fair. And this mentality and this perspective is really skewing and, 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 and messing up our understanding of what it really means to do life with Jesus. And there's one specific encounter that I think unpacks some truth for us that happens in John chapter 21. So turn there in your Bibles. Go to John chapter 21. We're going to start with verse 15. Because Jesus has a conversation with, with, with our man Peter in this passage of Scripture that once again, it gives us a window into the way I think we all have thought or think at some times. John chapter 21. Now Jesus has already been crucified. He's rose from the dead. Now he just had this awesome, he, he, he helped them bringing the biggest catch of their lives, and they just had a really good breakfast together. And then this encounter, this conversation, happens between Jesus and Peter. Verse 15, John chapter 21. says, When they had finished eating, Jesus said to, si uh, to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? Yes, Lord, he said. You know that I love you. Jesus said, well, feed my lambs. Again, Jesus said, Simon, son of John, do you love me? He answered, yes, Lord. You know that I love you. Jesus said, take care of my sheep. The third time he said to him, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Peter was hurt. Peter got his feelings hurt. Because Jesus asked him the third time, do you love me? And he said, Lord, you know all things. You know that I love you. Jesus said, feed my sheep. Verse 18, very truly I tell you, when you were younger, you dressed yourself and went where you wanted. But when you are old, you will stretch out your hands and someone uh, else will dress you and lead you where you do not want to go. Jesus said this to indicate the kind of death by which Peter would glorify God. Then he said to him, those words we've been hearing throughout the entire series, follow me. So what just happens is he, he says, Peter, do you love me? Do you love me? Do you love me? Do you love me? And Peter's like, every time, yes, Lord, I love you. Do you love me? Yes, Lord, I love you. And then third time, so Peter's kind of saying, like, Jesus, like, you know everything. You know that I love you. And he's like, good. Well, you know what you're going to do? You're going to spend the next years of your life serving me and serving people and serving other people. And then, and then you're going to end up at the end of your life debilitated and die a horrible death. Follow me. Welcome to life with Jesus. And all God's people said, what? Like, seriously? 
That's what he says. He says, Peter, this is what's going to happen. If you love me, then you're going to follow me. And you understand that follow me, man, it means you're going to be serving other people throughout your entire life. And your reward for that is going to be you're going to be debilitated and die a really horrible death. And so Peter's not like it. Yes! That sounds awesome. And in fact, what happens next is, is, is what happens so often with us. Like what, the, the conversation that Peter is about, the place that the conversation is about to go next is a place that we've all taken the conversation with God at some point in our lives. Every single one of us has done this. Dive back in to verse 20. It says, Peter turned and saw the disciple whom Jesus loved, John, was following them. This was the one who had leaned back against Jesus at the supper and had said, Lord, who is going to betray you? And then look what happens, verse 21. When Peter saw him, he said, Lord, what about him? Jesus answered, if I, want to if I want him to remain alive until I return, what is that to you? You must follow me. See, Peter just did what we've all done. Like Peter, Jesus has clearly said, Peter, this is going to be your path as you follow me. And he's like, that doesn't sound too awesome. So, so if that's my path, Jesus, I want to know his path. What, what about him? Because if I love you and I know you and I'm following you and that's the way things are going to turn out, it better be the same way for John. Right? Lord, Lord what about him? I want to know what it's going to look like for him. Because if I'm following you like this and he's going to follow you like that, then our paths should look similar. And that's what we're convinced of, right? That if I'm living for Jesus and I'm loving Jesus and I'm checking all the boxes and I'm going to church and I'm reading my Bible and I've done, I do six version reading plans a day. I have Hillsong playing in my car all the time. And so do they, and, and, and if I'm doing that and they're doing that, then the paths that we're going to travel, it's only fair that they look alike. Come on. It's only fair that if, if he's living that way and I'm living that way and we're both pursuing Jesus and we both love Jesus and we're both being obedient to Jesus, then you know what? His path should be as hard as my path. And I'm reminded of something I mentioned last week that I want to dive a little bit deeper into this week, that we all follow the same person, but we do not all walk the same path. See, Peter's, Peter's asking that question because he thinks, well, um, it would only be fair. It would only be fair for John's experience to be like my experience. And if that's what my experience is going to look like, Jesus, it's not fair if his experience don't look like that. And you know what, John say, you know what Jesus says to Peter? Boy, don't worry about it. That is none of your concern. Because John's path is John's path and your path is your path. And don't get it all twisted and feel like that y'all's paths are supposed to look alike for it to be fair. We all follow the same person, but we do not walk the same path. And this is what God's been teaching me. Avoid the temptation to compare paths. We have to avoid the temptation to compare paths. Our constant impulse to compare paths paints a picture of God who feels really unfair and you cannot walk your path with your God when your eyes are constantly wandering to the path of another person. 
we have to avoid the temptation to compare paths. And man, we get caught up in it, don't we? Come on, somebody. Because we're walking this path and we're thinking, this can't be right. <laughs> this can't be my path. I'm doing all these things right and I, I'm living better than him. Do you know him? All the things he's done and said. Like there's, how come I'm walking this path and my life seems to be going in this direction and turning out this way? And they get that. Isn't that how we approach life? That our eyes keep bouncing from the person that we're following in the path we're supposed to be walking to somebody else's path. And we have to avoid that temptation because when we start comparing paths, some really dangerous things start happening. See, comparing can only produce one of two things, pride or envy. When you start comparing paths, there's only one, one of two places that's going to land, pride or envy. We've already been there and be like, I'm glad I'm not that joker. My life is so much better than theirs. I'm so glad I'm not you. I am holy. You must be evil. My life is so much better. I'm glad my life is not their life. So, I mean, when we start comparing past, we either feel proud or, which I think is the m most common and most likely destination, is envy will begin, begin to build in our heart. And we'll start thinking, well, wait a minute. I'm doing all the things that they're doing. I'm just as in love with Jesus as, as they seem to be. I'm going through all the right steps and places of obedience that they seem to be. But why does their path seem to look so much better than mine? So much easier and smooth and fruitful and fun while mine is awful. And see, when envy starts breeding, what happens is envy leads to either conforming or competing. So when we start looking at somebody else's path and we start getting a little bit envious of that, we'll either start to try to conform, well, well I, won't, I want to look like them. And so we'll maybe start to compromise so that our life looks a little bit like theirs and we'll do things that maybe we shouldn't do to make our lives look like theirs. And next thing you know, we're kind of conforming to something that God didn't create us to be. In our jealousy, we're trying to make ourselves into something that we're not supposed to be, and there's nothing more frustrating than trying to live outside of who God created you to be. Come on. Or we start competing, and we think, well, okay, they got this. Well, I, I need that too. And, we, and, and you know what? That's, that's a never-ending circle because, you know, we start looking. We start, let's just take it really down to a simple illustration. Like, oh, oh, oh they, got, they got a nice car. I need a nice car. So you know what we do? We get a nice car. It's a little bit nicer than theirs. Like we're paying way more. We, we finance it for 13 years, but we're good to go. My payment is only $300 until Jesus returns, but I'm good to go. But here's the thing. Then all of a sudden, a new coworker gets a new car, and it's a little bit better than the car you got. And so you know what you got to do? Well, I'm upside down, so I'm going to have to trade this thing in somehow. I'm going to get me a new car. And it's a never-ending circle. There will always be somebody out there that appears to be just a little bit ahead of you. And it's that carrot that's dangling that you can never reach. And envy, when it starts brewing up and conforming, competing, see, envy then destroys contentment and community. There's no way that envy and contentment can coexist. Right? There's no way that you can be envious and content at the same time. You're always striving and striving and striving for more. And you know what? Envy really 
just destroys community because envy breeds in proximity. You know what? I'm not jealous of Bill Gates. Like, I don't compare my life to his. Anybody that can spend like $700 million a minute and never go broke, I mean, that's crazy. But you know who we start comparing ourselves to? The people in our family or the coworker or the neighbor, those people that are close to us, the people that we see every single day, and you want to just smack them because every day it's like they're throwing it into your face that their marriage maybe is a little bit better and their house is a little bit bigger and their car is a little bit nicer and their clothes are a little bit better. And like every day it's just like this slap in the face of what you don't have. Isn't that what it feels like? Come on. Every time you see them, it almost feels like a reminder that they're better than you or they have it better than you or it seems like they're a little bit further than you are and they, and they are experiencing something. And it just begins to just destroy community because we just start looking at that person and instead of seeing a person created by God, we see somebody that has something that we desire and don't have. And it changes the way we view people. And the problem is contentment and community are essential to reaching God's desired destination for our lives. And comparing just destroys those essential things and keeps us wondering and unfulfilled. We follow the same person, but we don't walk the same path. And if we continue to compare paths, it will breed envy. It will destroy contentment. It will break apart community and do nothing but grow bitterness in your heart. But you know some things that I've been learning recently? One is this, that their path isn't as easy as it seems from a distance. You hear that? Their path isn't as easy as it seems from a distance. See, it's easy to look back and, and from a distance think their life is so great and they don't have any problems and they don't even understand what problems really are. They complain and all this kind of stuff. They're, from a distance, it seems to look like their, their, their path is just so great and yours is so bad. From a distance, it's easy to seem like their path is so much better than yours. But you know what I've learned? I've said this before. We all got serious issues. Amen, somebody. Like, we ain't a single person in this room that doesn't have problems. Ain't a single person in this room whose life is all together. There's not a single person in this room that doesn't have something in their life that probably, as they sit here this morning, seems like it's falling apart. But it's really easy from a distance to look back and think they have it all together and everything's great. When reality is, you've heard me say a thousand times, we're all as messed up as you are. And you know what I think really breeds this more than anything is social media. There's some people, you wake up every morning and your phone's your alarm clock and the first thing you do is start flipping through Facebook or Instagram or Twitter and you're already thinking, I hate them. Really? They're like, oh gosh, look at that. And you know what? With the duck face from that angle, everybody looks good, right? <laughs> you realize social media ain't real life. Nobody posts what they look like when they get up in the morning. Nobody live streams the fight with their spouse that they had that day. It's just not real. The reality is their path isn't as easy as it seems from a distance. And the more you start thinking like that, and you know what's funny, man? We start coming up with these excuses like, well, she only looked good because she got all that makeup on. I wouldn't ever wear all that makeup. Oh, oh, they, they, can, they can afford a new car because they don't tithe. I tithe, so I can't afford a new car. 
not real, man. And you know, the other thing I've learned, your path isn't as difficult as it feels in the moment. We become prisoners of the moment, don't we? And when we're going through those seasons that are difficult, it feels like our world has to be worse than anybody else's on the planet. And we are a culture and a society that so becomes prisoners of the moment. I watched this on display last night with my wife. She's in the room. We're big Clemson fans. We beat Florida State last night. Glory to God. Amen. Uh, but it's one of those things, like we opened up and we scored two touchdowns. It's 14 to nothing. I'm like, we're the best team in the world. That's awesome. We, we're going to kill them. Like five minutes later, we turn over. This is the worst team I've ever seen. We're, we are, we're going to get killed. And that, it's a microcosm of how we do life. It's like every, every uh, the truth is, more than likely, can I say, the truth probably is, there's more good in your life than bad. And now there may be some exceptions, and there's some of you thinking, you don't know me, I'm the exception, that's me. Maybe you feel that way because you keep comparing paths. It's funny how like that one C on the report card can overshadow all the A's. And in our life, we can be, like, things can be good and good and good, but we can have one bad five-minute conversation that takes the whole day down with it and be prisoners of the moment. Their path isn't as easy as it seems from a distance. Your path isn't as difficult as it feels in the moment. And this may be the most important thing I say all day. The difficulty of your path is not an indicator of the level of his love. Leave that on the screen and, and read that. I want you to soak that up. The difficulty of your path is not an indicator of the level of his love. Because this is what we do when we start comparing paths. You think, well, I'm doing what they're doing and I'm not experiencing what they're experiencing. God, you just must love them more. If you love me the way that you love them, then I would have all the blessings and I would be prospering and I wouldn't have these financial problems and I wouldn't be going through this sickness and I wouldn't be experiencing this stuff. If you love me the way you love them, their path is better because you love them more. Isn't that how we think? Come on. But you know what I've learned? That the difficulty of your path is not an indicator of the level of his love. And let me just give you two stories that prove it. Look at, at, at Luke chapter 7, verse 28, as Jesus talks about John the Baptist. Look what he says about John the Baptist in verse 28. I tell you, among those born of women, there is no one greater than John. So can we say that, like, Jesus thought a lot about John? He said, look at what he said. Among those born of women, there is no one greater than John. John was arrested, spent probably about a year and a half in jail, had a crisis of doubt, Asked Jesus, I sent a message to ask Jesus if Jesus was really Jesus. Jesus says, yes, tell him I'm good, and then tell him all the cool things I'm doing, and then while he rots in prison, I'm heading north. And then John ended up dying by being beheaded. That was his path. And Jesus says, among those born of women, there is no one greater. Or what about Lazarus? Remember Lazarus, John chapter 11, verse 3? says, so the sisters sent word to Jesus, Lord, the one you love, talking about Lazarus is sick. Now, if you read that passage of scripture, these sisters come and say, the one you love. Now, we're thinking, it's Jesus. Blame. I love a lot of people. Who are you talking about? But apparently, his love for Lazarus was so deep that all they had to say is, Jesus, the one you love is sick. And Jesus knew who they were talking about. He said, he's, he's sick. He's going to die. You know what Jesus did? He stayed right where he was for two more days. 
And then when he went back, he found out he was dead. Of course, then he raised him from the dead. It's a different path. And can we see that Jesus loved these two men equally and deeply, and their paths were very, very different from one another? See, the difficulty of your path is not an indicator of the level of his love. Stop buying that lie. I can't explain to you why your path is the way it is, but I can tell you this. Your path has been specially, uniquely, purposely designed by your loving Heavenly Father. And until you come to that realization, you're going to be frustrated and your eyes are going to continue to bounce from your path to theirs and to theirs and to theirs and to theirs. And so this is kind of what I want to leave you with. Stop focusing on what's wrong with you, the path you're walking and start focusing on what's right with the person you're following. You can get bogged down in what's wrong with your path. My, my wisdom would even be not only stop looking at other people's path, stop getting so focused on your, fa- your path that you forget you're following a person. And that person has designed it uniquely and purposefully and specially for you. And he sees every pebble that may go under your foot. He knows where every root is that could cause you to stumble. He knows every twist and turn that may come unexpected as you move along. See, he sees not only the beginning, the middle, but he also sees the end. And if you'll just trust him and put your hand in his and stay focused on him and just follow your path and avoid the temptation to compare your path to another person's path, you will be more fulfilled, you'll experience more joy, and your life will drastically change for the better. Woo! Stop focusing on what's wrong with the path that you're walking and start focusing on right, what's right with the person that you're following. I don't know your path. I can't begin to comprehend it or understand it or explain it. But I know the one who's designed it. And if you'll just trust him and walk faithfully with him, he'll carry you through. Just bow your heads, close your eyes with me. I want you to hear these words from Psalm chapter 16. This is a psalm of David. David had a very unique path, and there was times along this path he felt like he was going to give up. And I want you to hear his prayer here. And this is my prayer for you, and, and, and I hope one that you will adopt. It's Psalm 16, and I'm going to read verses 1 through 11. And I just want you to soak these words in. I want you to notice how many times he says my or me or I and how much he owns his personal journey with God. And you have your own personal journey with, with, with God. Peter, Jesus told him, said, Peter, don't worry about anybody else. You must follow me. Hear these words from the psalmist David in Psalm 16, verse 1. It says, Keep me safe, my God, for in you I take refuge. I say to the Lord, You are my Lord. Apart from you I have no good thing. I say of the holy people who are in the land, they are the noble ones in whom is all my delight. Those who run after other gods will suffer more and more. I will not pour out libations of blood to such gods or take up their names on my lips. Lord, you alone are my portion and my cup. You make my lot secure. The boundary lines have fallen for me in pleasant places. Surely I have a delightful inheritance. I will praise the Lord who counsels me. Even at night, my heart instructs me. I keep my eyes always on the Lord. 
With him at my right hand, I will not be shaken. Therefore, my heart is glad and my tongue rejoices. My body also will rest secure because you will not abandon me in the realm of the dead, nor will you let your faithful one see decay. You make known to me the path of my life. You will fill me with joy in your presence, with eternal pleasures at your right hand. We all follow the same person but we don't get to walk the same path. And I know there are moments when your path seems unfair compared to the path of somebody else you're intently watching. But I want to invite you to do something today. If that's you and envy and all that stuff is building in your heart, can I invite you just to let that go? To take your eyes not only off the other person's path, but lift them from your path and look into the face of a loving God who desires to walk you through this life. Just a minute, we're going to worship. And I want us to take this time just to soak and stand in the love of our Heavenly Father. Everything He does around you and through you and for you is motivated by His love. And even when that doesn't make sense and when you even can't figure it out, I'm going to invite you just to trust that He loves you. So I'm going to ask you if you would just reverently and quietly just rise to your feet. And I'm going to pray for us, and we're going to worship. And throughout this song, as we're worshiping, if you just need to come and kneel and get some things right with God and just speak to Him and talk to Him and have a conversation and just cry out to Him, maybe you just need some perspective or some understanding, just as we worship Him, would you respond? Father, as we worship You and as we sing these songs, God, I pray that You would speak to our hearts, God, right now. Move in this room and help us to take our eyes off of all the other things that could be distracting and frustrating and to fix our face on the loving Heavenly Father that's designed everything for His glory and our good. Speak to our hearts in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thanks for listening to the Vintage Church Podcast. For more information, please visit our website at vintagechurch.net.